welcome to our session on reimagining teams. My name is Alec. Uh, Michelle is on her way. Um, so we're doing this in two separate parts. So luckily I'm doing the first part. Um, so yeah, we... Um, can I just see what kind of places everyone's from? Who's... Anyone here from a city? So we've got some... Oh, a few cities. Towns? Okay, so we've got a, a bit of a mixture. So uh, the reason that myself and Michelle are both doing this session is because I'm part of a city church and Michelle is part of more of a town-sized church or a church in a town. Um, so you will get a bit of um, perspective on both sides of what that looks like. Um, we are going to split this session into two halves. Um, our first half is we're going to kind of look at recruiting teams. Um, in the second half, we're going to, Michelle's, Michelle's going to kind of look at what it looks like for us to kind of, how do we look after our, our volunteers? Um, if I'm honest, before we go any further, I haven't got any magic sort of tips. I haven't got any magic recipes. Um, I can't tell you if you do these 10 things, you'll have a million volunteers in your ministry by the end of the, uh, the conference. I'm on a learning journey with everyone else. Um, so it's been interesting kind of just popping into this. Um, so let me tell you who I am. So my name is Alec. Um, I am a pastor at Ealing Christian Centre, which is in West London. We are a church of around five, six hundred people. If I'm honest, if you were asking me, so pre-pandemic, we were six, seven hundred. Post-pandemic, we are around there somewhere, I'm not sure. And I will explain a little bit more of that. Um, as a church, we have around 20 staff members um, that kind of help with loads of different parts of things that go on in our church. Um, so yeah, just so you know, before I come to you and you kind of go, well... He's got all these people who are employed. He's got this big church with all these people. Of course, he's got volunteers. So I just want to kind of put that out to you beforehand before you kind of go, okay, how do we look at this? Um, so Matthew 9.37 seems like a good place to start. Um, and it says, or we'll start in 36. And he says, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Will we pray before we go any further? It always seems like a nice place to start. So, Father God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. God, we thank you that you are here and that you are with us. That God, we thank you that, God, that your hand is upon us. That, God, we pray that today, as we come around and we look at these thoughts of volunteers and how we look after them, that, God, we pray that, God, that you will drop little ideas into our hearts and our spirits. That, God, I pray for those here this morning who are maybe going, God, I'm the only one. That, Father, I pray that you'll begin to gather people around them. In your almighty, precious name. Amen. So, like I said, my name is Alec. For the, probably the last 13 years, I've been involved in full-time ministry in some sort of capacity. So I have done uh, kids' ministry. I have done youth ministry. I have done men's ministry. I now kind of oversee our church. So every week, I, we have got prayer ministry. We've got women's ministry. All these different things. And everyone somewhere is going, 
I need more people. There aren't enough. Um, I don't know about you, but especially right now, um, about a month ago, we had a conversation in our leadership team. And it kind of went probably similar to something that you guys are having right now. Is So like I said, since we've kind of come out of lockdown, on a Sunday morning, we have around about 300 people attend our services. The problem is that those people who are attending before were coming every week. Now they come every second week. And the people who are coming every second week are now coming once a month. And the people who come once a month turn up for Easter and maybe Christmas. Um, and almost every week, I have this same conversation. Even this week, I had this young couple appear in front of me and they said to me, Pastor, we are back for the first time. And I looked at them and I went, oh, I thought you had left. I wasn't sure if you were still here. I am pretty sure that we still have about 25% of our team, or our church, still meet online. The problem with people meeting online is that they forget. And I think if any of you who are on YouTube or one of those things. One of my favorite things to do is jump into the comments. Because as I jump into the comments, I get this barrage of, the sound is too low today. Why can't I see the pastor's face? Why is the camera at his feet? Um, I could, can someone tell the lady waving flags to move out from in front of the camera? Why, or oh, the slides aren't appearing the way they should? And it's an interesting moment because if I'm honest, we sit and we make all those things work for them. But in truth, I realize that those people who are sitting at home, one of the problems with people still sitting at home is they are no longer volunteering. One of the things we find is we are, like I say, we are a city church. We are in West London. And if anyone has ever decided to go on Zoopla and look at the prices of houses in West London, there are a lot. Um, so we almost, one of the other things that we've had during the pandemic is we've had loads of people moving out of London to the various separate towns. So the other conversation that I feel like I'm having on a weekly, a weekly basis is, Pastor, we love the church, but we're moving. It's just too expensive for us to stay here. So we have had this incredible shift, but then on the other side, I'm hoping your churches are like mine. Every week I look out at the faces of the people in my church and I go, who are you? Where have you come from? How long have you been with us? And I've started a tactic that probably most of you do. We, I stand in the door and I try and shake the hands of most people walking out. Not because I want to stand in the door and show them who I am, but because I'm going, who are you? Let me find out who you are. And it's, I met a guy this week. He was like, I've been here two weeks. I'm like, great. The problem with that is that the people who have left were serving and the people who are coming in, we're beginning that process again of going, oh, we need to get you serving. How do we get you guys to the place that we begin to serve once again? Um, and it's an interesting journey. So even like I said, we are a church of 300. Our, I think our kids team has got about 20 in it. But every week my kids worker comes to me and goes, I don't know if I can run some kids classes today because we don't have enough. Our youth workers are the same saying, we need a little bit more because some of those guys are just a bit slower in coming back. 
Um, and it's just been a really interesting sort of shift. Uh, at one point, one of our teams was quite heavily over 60. And our over 60s have just gone, we're quite happy at home right now. We'll come for Easter. Which made me laugh because they've been kind of avoiding our church. And Easter is the biggest event of the year. And all of them appeared. And I went, are you sure that this is the week you've chosen? But that's what they chose. Um, so I kind of, as I wander around, like I say, I'm as, I've loved kind of this topic because it's allowed me to ask the same questions as you're asking, right? How do we build volunteers? How do we build team? How do we make it work a little bit better? Rick Warren wrote this in Purpose Driven Church. He, he said, the designation of active member in most churches means that those who attend regularly and financially support the church not, not, that not much more is expected. But God has a greater expectation for every Christian. He expects that every Christian to use his or her gifts and talents in ministry. If we can ever awaken and unleash the massive talent, resources, creativity, and energy lying dormant in the typical local church, Christianity will explode with growth at an unprecedented rate. So we begin this journey and we ask, what does it look like for us to recruit well? I think before we ask that, I think there's another question that we have to ask. Why aren't people volunteering? There was a lady, there's a lady in my church who's probably been there for 10 years. And this week I, I looked at her and I went, where are you serving? And she stopped and no answer really. I've got another lady who called me this week and she wanted something from our building. And she said to me, Pastor, I've been coming to church for 40 years. I tithe every week. And in my head I went, but what about the servant part? And I think sometimes we are happy at that moment where we go, well, at least people are giving us some cash. But actually there's a whole lot more around this. And I, I kind of, Max, sorry, not Max Licado, um, Stephen Maxwell, in his, one of his books, he wrote down why people don't come to, or why people don't volunteer. And he wrote these, this little list, and he says, one, no one ever asked them. Two, they fear the responsibility of serving. Three, they've suffered burnout at some point from either your church or the church that they've come from. They are intimidated by the workers that you already have because you guys are so good at your jobs that they look and go, there's no way I can do that. Um, they are ignorant of the biblical paradigms of ministry. They are preoccup there's a preoccupation with their personal agenda or they're just too busy. They are unaware of the options available in your church. So do people in your church know where they can serve? They don't own the cause, or they're just lazy. And we have some of those, don't we? People who just go, and it seems like some of that has just crept in. I think as well, one of the things as we come out of pandemic, there is a moment of people where they're going, I don't want to go back to the busyness that I had before. Like before pandemic, I was out serving in four ministries. I was out every night of the week. Life stopped and I enjoyed it. I think... I think lockdown for some of my volunteers in our church was a moment where they breathed and went, great, I don't have to do that again. I think they enjoyed just kind of settling. And now it's time to come back. They're going, do I really want to be involved? And we've had people who are in four ministries now coming down 
to one. So when we are looking for volunteers, the first answer is always prayer. Like it seems a simple one, it seems an obvious one, but always it starts in prayer. That's what Matthew says. He goes, uh, speak to the Lord of the harvest that he will send the harvesters. That, that's where we start. I think the second question is this, is what is your process when you bring in volunteers? As a church, do you have one? And if you have one, are you sticking to it? Um, for us at ECC, it's one of my bugbears is our process, but I realize why we have it. So we, before anyone can serve in our church, they have to be at least there for six months, which right now is quite difficult because I am meeting people for the first time on a Sunday morning and they will tell me, we've been online for a year, we've been part of your church for a year, and then they will tell me, and sometimes, you know when sometimes people tell you they're watching online, you go, you're not really they will then tell me about my wife, they will tell me about my son, and they will tell me the sermon that I preached last week, the week before, and the week before. And I go, oh, you really have been part of our church. Right. How does this kind of thing begin to come in place? But then I realize it's there for a reason. Two weeks ago, I got a phone call from another church, or I got an email. And in the email, it went, do you know this person? Um, I'm just checking to see if our volunteer policy was put in place. As soon as I seen the name, I went, oh no, please tell me they didn't put that guy into any volunteer sort of work. Sure enough, I give the guy a call and he goes, do you know this person? I went, yep. Did we ask for a reference? And I go, I have just taken over as the senior pastor of our church. So I go, I said to him, because I'm not sure if our old senior pastor would have given a reference, but if I'm honest, if a reference had been asked, it would have come to me. And if you'd ask me about this guy, the answer would be, do not let him near anyone. They are now kind of having this process because I, I'm not sure what happened, but I'm pretty sure the guy ended up in jail because of some stuff that he did in the church last year. So we have a process for a reason. Kids ministry we all love wanting people in kids' ministry. The truth is, no one can join our kids' ministry until they're DBS checked. There's a reason for it. Youth ministry, there's a reason for those DBSs. As soon as someone goes, I won't do a DBS, a red flag goes and goes, well, great. Go join another ministry and we'll keep an eye on you that you don't go anywhere near our kids. And we have those things kind of just in place. And it depends. Like sometimes there are certain ministries where you can go, right, here you go, go join straight away. And there's other places where you go, actually, you need some. So for us as a church, our worship team, you can't join our worship team unless you do an addition. And it's for some people, they go, why am I auditioning to be part of this? And they don't ever get past that point. But there's a reason why they audition is because every so often, someone who tells you they can sing, can't sing. They make a beautiful noise to Jesus. But the rest of us are going, ooh, What's happening today? Um, but there are little processes, and we find as a church, the moment that we break those processes is a moment that we end up in trouble. And we've done it a few times, kind of gone. And this is a season where we are going, we want to break those processes because we need to shift some of these people through quickly, and we're just holding off. Um, so what's your process? Um, what's your vision? Do you know your church vision? Because it's important. Every ministry comes from that vision. So you need to know your vision. 
not only you need to know the vision of the church, but then how your ministry fits into that vision. So if you are running youth ministry, right, what's our plan for this youth ministry? What's the vision? And when you are interacting with people, you sell them the vision. Because when you sell them the vision, something aligns in their hearts. Before I moved to Elan, I was a pastor in Newcastle-upon-Tyne. And the church there at the moment had just bought this new building. Um, and they had this massive vision to reach most of the West End of Newcastle. And I spent hours with young adults or with students who were supposed to be going back home, selling them the vision of church. And without fail, when they grabbed a hold of it, they would turn around and go, right, we're staying. Okay, we're staying. And about six months later, God called me somewhere else. And as I began to go, they went, why are you going? I thought you were sold out for this vision. I went, I am. God's going somewhere and he's telling you to stay here. But it's time for me to move somewhere else. So yeah, your vision is extremely important. How we set that out, how we say it, how we move around it, and how we kind of begin to piece it. Um, have you ever noticed when you want to sign up for a ministry, if someone says, do you join the welcome team? And you go, okay. And you turn up for your first week of welcome team, and you go, what is welcome team? What is this thing that I am supposed to be doing? And different churches have different meanings, so in our church, you may hear welcome team and you may think that's the people who welcome you at the door when you walk in. It's not the welcome, people, the welcome team are the team that welcome new people halfway through the service. The people who introduce you at the door are called our stewarding team. When we get volunteers, we need to make sure that we give them detail, tell them exactly what is expected of them. Um, are we expecting them to turn up once a month? Are we expecting them to turn up every week? Are we expecting them to be every service? Or what is the expectation upon people when they come? That, okay, we expect you to be in the kids' ministry once a month. And then actually we expect you to be in church every second, every other week as well. Because um, you will find sometimes with volunteers that the only time they appear at church is when they're serving. And that's a problem as well because there needs to be something that they are beginning to receive. And I think that will probably fit into some of the stuff that Michelle's talking about later on of, okay, what's going on in the inside? How do we do that? Especially kids and youth teams, because if you're not turning up the church, we're telling our kids and our young people that church isn't important, that the only thing important is what's going on when we are out in session. So make sure you kind of give context for everyone. It says in Luke 14, 28, it says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundations and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. That when we ask people to join something without giving them an expectation, we struggle to keep them accountable. So in the moments that they don't begin to fulfill that expectation, there's no moment where we can turn around and go, listen, you signed up for this. I've been part of teams, especially youth ministry teams, where we used to ask them to sign something as they joined, just so they knew this is what is expected of you. So maybe you need to write a document and go, this is what we're expecting. Here you go. Just so people can then turn around and go, actually, I can't give that expectation. Okay, let me go see if I can join another team that maybe I can join that. Because there is nothing worse than having a rotor with a name on it that you know is not turning up. Like, there are those names, aren't there, on your rotors where you go, 
Why is your name here? A few times I've just gone to some of our staff. I've said, you know what? Take their name off. There's no point writing it down if you know they're not going to be there. They're just filling a rota to make you feel better. You thinking you've got, you've got it done. But still on Saturday night, you are calling around. Or even worse, Sunday morning at quarter past nine, you are calling around going, can someone cover this? And we need to kind of keep that expectation. Um, we need to make it personal. Uh, today I received an email from one, of our, from one of my small groups, from one of our leaders. And the response was, Pastor Alec, our group needs to grow. Can you make an announcement from the front that our group will grow? Um, I have been around church long enough. Every so often we do a, a ministry fair where you pull all the ministries up front and we go, right, who wants to sign up for ministry? And you get all the ministries to wander around. And the truth of the matter is, by the end of it, you sit there with 20 names thinking, great, I've got 20 people signed up. And not one of them signs up for your group. They just felt guilty and thought, I better sign up for this. Um, and the best way of growing any group, and especially for ministry leaders, and this is something that we're going to start saying to our, our group because all of my departments are saying, Pastor, make an announcement from the front. I have made an, a thousand announcements. Any pastors in this room will know that they've preached on this topic numerous times, and we've said, go sign up, and not one person moves. The truth is that the best people to sign up or get people a part of your ministry is is you, to go to individuals and go, do you want to join my ministry? The other best people are people who are part of your team. Get them to go and say, this is the best team you will ever meet. My small group, um, the reason it's growing is because I'm the person who gets all the names. So I go to the people and go, do you want to join my group? And because they see me, when they're turning up to my small group, they're going, oh, we know this person. When I send them to someone else, without fail, by the time that they call them, they've decided they don't want to be part of it anymore because they're not sure who they're meeting. So make it personal as you're kind of pulling people on team. Depending on your size, that might be easier. Like I say, for us, as a bit of a bigger church, it's actually really difficult sometimes because we just don't know who everyone is in our congregation. So we try, we try and make sure that we're not just pulling people in who look and sound like us, who are the same age as us. Um, I inherited a youth team when I arrived at ECC that was... Everywhere between 16 to, I think the oldest one we had was 65. And our young people loved the 65-year-old just as much as they loved the 16-year-olds. And they were amazing at what they did. I think sometimes we try and go, these people look a certain way, so we'll give them an opportunity. But actually, when you get to know people, you begin to hear their heart, and you begin to go, okay, I know that I can place you there. Um, that when We see it with Jesus all the time, don't we? He goes to his disciples, and he says... Come follow. He gives them a personal invitation. He goes to Matthew, the tax collector, and goes, come and follow me. Peter, James, and John, come and follow. He gives a personal, it's not a mass invite. He does this personal thing. So we need to make sure that we are uh, personal. When we are bringing people on team, do you do any training? Or do you just let them loose? We need to be training our people to go, okay, this is what this looks like. This is how we do a session. Um, when we are doing some of our stuff, what we'll do is we'll get them to walk alongside someone so they never are thrown in on their own. They always stand with someone and they watch a session. Um, sometimes when we make it personal as well or the expectation point, sometimes we give them a trial run. 
so they can see it, know what they're signing up for, and go, okay, yeah, I'll commit to this. I can do it. So we kind of work around some of that as well. Um, and I think finally, for my part, we need to celebrate more. So we need to celebrate our volunteers. So every year as a church, we do a, a volunteer's meal at Christmas time. Is it the best thing you've ever seen? No. Could it be better? Yes. Do our volunteers for one night go, thank you so much for the jollof, the curry goat, and the rice. Yes. They absolutely love it. They absolutely love kind of being part of it. They love kind of gathering together. Um, but I think one of the things that I've kind of began to think about in this is, how do we celebrate those people throughout the year? How do we go, let me share you this story of this person. We have a, a lady in our church. She's in her 80s. Um, and just for the pandemic, she was our, one of our stewards. Every single week, this lady was the first person in our building and the last one to leave. That we used to ask our stewards to walk forward to hand out buckets. And every time this lady walked forward, I was panicking that she wasn't going to make it because she was so frail making her way down the steps. And every time we tried to have a conversation with her to say, do you think it's time for you to lay this down? Before the words even came out of our mouth, she went, no, I'm here. I'm called to serve. This is what I do. We have another lady in our church who, her, she says that our, our ministry is baking cakes. She can't do anything, so she's made cakes for different people in our church for years. And every, every time she appears with this cake, she's moved to another one of our, our, our sister churches, and still her daughter comes and still every so often a cake appears. And I think, to be fair, that's why my discipleship group has grown so big. Because the cake gets shared with them. But we need to kind of just go, okay, what does it look like for us to share a story? For us to have someone's face up there and go, look what God's done in this person. Look how he's been faithful. So that when people begin to see other people being celebrated, they go, what does it look like for me, for my face to be up there? Which ministry can I be a part of? How do I make a difference and some of that. So as we begin to recruit, we pray. We sorry, let me go through this list for you. We pray, we set vision, we set we set a kind of a rule around how we get volunteers, we give them details, we make it personal, we provide support and training, and then we celebrate them often. And I'm gonna pass over Michelle who's gonna speak about how we look after our volunteers. Here we go. Now, teams are something that's really dear to my heart. You know, I've brought my team here. They're going to be involved. You're going to see them in a minute. We can't do anything in our mission without a team, okay? You know, as individuals, we can have some nice ideas and we can uh, seek to get out there and do some stuff. But the reality is, you know, um, I cannot action every idea that I have in my head. And God didn't intend me to either. He intended me to collaborate with others. And the team just now are sniggering. And I know exactly what's going on in their head. They're like, there's no way we're going to action every idea in her head. That's what's going on in their head. Because they know me very, very very, 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 very well. So, um, but our context right now is difficult, isn't it? It's a different context to that which we've been in in, uh, in previous times. We've been in this strange thing called a pandemic, and now we're sort of in an even stranger period coming out and, and thinking about war again. And I guess none of us were thinking there would be another world war. So it's strange right now, isn't it? And so um, the you know, the place we find ourselves in as church isn't, 
you know, is it has many similarities to the things people are experiencing in the workplace. So I'm sure many of you are responsible for teams in the workplace as well as church. And we all um, are facing difficulties in recruiting people, but also retaining people. And this is uh, what sh uh, something that one guy, John Boys, um, has said, if we could just pop the next slide up. And uh, he said, the way we live and work changes as we get older. Um, I was going to make a comment as I'm in my 51st year. I'm thinking, yes, <laughs> yes, it does. But um, people usually transition through stages such as education, employment, inactivity, and eventually retirement. But the major disruption of the pandemic has interfered with these transition points. Perhaps they came sooner and were much more discreet than they might have been in smoother economic times. We have seen record numbers of young people attending higher education and an increase in their early exit from the workforce. The sheer length of the pandemic and its disruption puts a lot of open water between the pre- and post-pandemic world of work, making the disjoint seem starker. So there's... That is our context right now. Actually, you know, I can think of my own son in an apprenticeship at the beginning of the pandemic. The apprenticeship um, falls foul of, of people's fears about um, how they could continue these things. And he loses that and he ends up going into full-time education. And praise God, that's working well. I can think of other people in our congregation who are in their sort of late 50s, early 60s, being made redundant in these times and actually decide, do you know what? I'm not going to look for another job. Actually, I'm going to stop and I'm going to put my energies into something different. So people are, have had some time to think and, and some people have been forced into decisions um, that they wouldn't have made had things just carried on. Um, so we've been through sort of a cycle of change and if we put the next diagram up, you can see that actually something quite peculiar happened, didn't it, in March 2020. I can remember my worship leaders sort of saying to me, Michelle, do you reckon we'll be here next week and me being a bit slow it's like oh, of course we'll be here next week and oh gosh no we we're on zoom <laughs> the next week you know but actually things came to a really sudden stop didn't they? and there was a great suppression of church activity and uh, all of a sudden, there was a great reshaping as well. All of a sudden, we had to do stuff online. For us, we went on to Zoom, and then we went on to YouTube. Other churches would have gone straight onto YouTube. But I know many churches, you know, struggled to work out, how can we do this? And have we got anybody on team who knows anything about Zoom, knows anything about YouTube, can use this tech? And I guess a lot of us um, would have bought a lot of tech in that time. I know we as a church spent a lot of money in tech to make it possible to be online. There was a reshaping of our activity. And then there was that pause sort of moment where actually we sort of got into a rhythm and a groove and doing things differently. And I know for us as a team, you know, we had our little studio. We would go in there, do Sunday church together. And there was something quite nice about that. We got into a quite nice rhythm of that. And then all of a sudden we were thrown out of that because people could be back in church. But there was this time where we could start to rethink things. And that was true for every individual in our church. It was true for us as we're doing 
team life in church, but also um, true for individuals in our church. And then, of course, having rethought, you start to reimagine your life. And that's what's happened to lots of our people in church life. They have reimagined their life. And actually, some have sort of said, well, actually... Um, well, our experience is that some have sort of said, do you know, I'm just not ready to come back to be in a group right now. I'm sort of happy online, sort of withdrawn, perhaps watching church in bed. Uh, I'm not coming back to lead the children's group or I'm not coming back right now for this, but I'll be back in church sometime in the future. Then there's others who have said, do you know, actually... Uh, I'm going to come back to church, but I'm not coming back to do the children's work. I've done 20-odd years of children's work. And there lies a reality that we all need to be aware of here. You know, when we take a job in another environment, perhaps we're paid for that job, you know, we're recruited... And, um, you know, we commit to doing that job. We're perhaps under a contract. If we want to stop, we just put in a resignation letter, yeah? But in church life, have you ever tried to get off a team? Yeah? Anyone tried to get off a team? I was chatting to my mum. I'm a bit worried because I've just been voted on the NLT. It's like, how many years? <laughs> how many years? How many years? You know, but... Um, you know, I was chatting to my mum, and uh, she said to me, you know, well, um, I was trying to get off the, um, the uh, I mentioned it's the toddler, uh, toddler group team on a Friday, and the chatterbox, she used to make the teas, right, and, and bless her mum, she's, she's over the years, she's got a, a tremor in her hands, a benign tremor, so actually when she gives you a cup of tea, you know, it's like a volcano coming towards you, all right, and she would laugh about this, this is why I can share it with you, it's like a volcano coming, so there was a point where she sort of felt, I need to get off the tea team, because this is getting dangerous, it's like, you know, she was bringing a cup of tea to you, and it might might end up in your lap. So she would quite sensibly want to come off the team. So she kept saying to people, I'd like to come off the team. Um, you know, I'm sorry, I need to stop. You know, this is the reason. And people just kept saying to her, oh, well, can you just do another week? Because we can't find somebody. And the weeks went on and the weeks went on and the weeks went on. It was only when she got um, a spot of cancer, which is now resolved, that um, she actually got a dispensation to step down from the team making. So, you know, it's hard getting off teams, isn't it? So you put yourself in the position of some of your team members, right? They've served in the team for however long. They've probably muted coming off of it a couple of times. And then COVID hits. What would you do? <laughs> you know, what would you do? And um, the truth is, I think a lot of people who perhaps were serving in areas that they just got a bit tired and weary of serving in, um, have just sort of said, actually, I won't come back to that because this provides a break. This provides a little pause. And so we have to respect that, don't we? We have to respect that. So I want to encourage you because there's some light in all of this. Because if those who are in their 50s and 60s are start deciding that they're going to be inactive in terms of paid work, then actually perhaps they're just determining and deciding 
what they'd like to volunteer in in your church. And um, so I think we're maybe not quite there yet, but there will be a point where it will get easier again to recruit volunteers because people will have had their rest, will have taken time out, rethought and reimagined their lives and will be ready to recommit to stuff. But I want to suggest to you that actually, and there are three things that are really, really important as we oversee our teams, all right? And those things are um, very simple things that the Lord laid on my heart to share with you today. So I'm not giving you any leadership models or um, I'm just giving you three simple little words, actually. So the first one is life. And um, if we put the next slide up... I've got a a verse here from Isaiah that 43 you'll be really familiar with. Don't remember the prior things. Don't ponder on the ancient history. Look, I'm doing a new thing. Now it sprouts up. Don't you recognize it? I'm making a way in the desert, paths in the wilderness. Now I want to say to you, I want to encourage you to say that, that God is doing a new thing. There is new life in our groups, in our teams. Okay, we've just got to perceive it and start to nurture that new life. So the first word that I have for you is life today that actually there needs to be life in your teams. And the reason um, I'm suggesting these words to you today is because I really believe that there are certain things we're all drawn to. I remember when I first joined an Elim church, I was drawn to the life, you know, and the presence of God in that church. In fact, I couldn't have left that church once I had sat in that church because I had felt the presence of God. I was drawn into the life and presence of Christ. People are drawn into the life and presence of Christ. So your teams need life in them. And let's be honest, not all teams have life in them, do they? Come on. Yeah? The look, just scan mentally across your church. You know, just think across the different teams, whether it be the stewarding and the welcoming, the children's work. You know, is that we have a group that's uh, ministers to those with memory loss. You know, scan mentally across the teams in your church, and you'll recognize that there's life in some of the teams, and there's a lack of life in some of the others. Now, um, I will give you a little bit of leadership theory. You know, in terms of managing people, there are different cycles in the life of a team. So um, there's a theory that I've always used, whether I've been in ministry or in um, other contexts, which talks about that all teams form, storm, norm, perform, and adjourn. And, um, you know, the basic of that... Is, is very simple, that there is a forming stage when you pull your team together. And then, having pulled your team and recruited them and got them together, there's a storming stage. Now, if you think about it, it's very biblical, iron sharpens iron. You know, there are times when you come together to work in a new group for a new task, and it gets a little bit uncomfortable because people rub up against each other. Ever been in a team where there's somebody there who's always pushing, 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 that we just do the next thing? 
thing, you know, and everybody else is trying to put the brakes on. You know, there are things that we experience in team life that are a little bit wearying if you're the leader or if you're the person who's steady and just wants everything in order and in its place and to a high standard. There are things that go on in teams, niggles that we have. Somebody puts something away in the wrong place or, or doesn't put it away. Somebody who does something that just irritates us. And um, so there's a storming stage. And then there's a norming stage. There's a point where you all get more familiar with the stuff that you're doing. And it becomes more routine, more easy. And then you get the performing, where actually everyone knows what they're doing and you don't even, you know, you get those lovely moments. So um, you walk into church and you've got a list in your head of the things that perhaps need to be done or your church team. And actually you start to look around and those things are done already because everybody knows you don't have to go check that stuff because it's already done. That's the performing stage. And then there's another stage when the task is done and actually we're perhaps contemplating new tasks and, uh, and what's next. But so, so there's stuff to think about in teams, like where you are in that cycle. But the important thing is that whatever stage you're at, there's life. And so I'm going to ask one of my team, Rachel, just to come forward. She is our associate pastor ordained um, this last year. And she is someone who brings life into our congregation. Now, um, she is someone who... Um, used to be known as Tigger when she was little. She came to our church at about 13, so that's not that little. Went off on the mission field for eight months in the Philippines, went off to university, then, um, then comes back and says she's called to be a teacher. <laughs> and uh, anyway, we sent her away to pray and she realized she was called to ministry. So I'm just going to ask her to share a little bit about um, having life in the ministries, in the teams. So um, when Michelle asked me to talk a bit about life, I just thought about um, house groups. So when I was in my first year of MIT, Michelle said, oh, why don't you start a house group? And me and Rachel lived together and we already had thought that we wanted to do this. I'd never been to a house group, never led one before. And I thought, yeah, sure. So I tried it and it was all right for a year. And then life changes. People move. People have babies, so they can't come out in the evening. And it just kind of died uh, and for a, probably the next two three years I tried really hard to like draw them together because I'm like come on 20s let's have fun together let's encourage one another let's connect with one another and it was really really hard it felt awkward it felt forced because I was forcing them to enjoy time with one another um, and it didn't quite click um, and then one of our 20s actually got baptized and he uh, is disabled and so he was like actually I want a group in my house and so we started up a group in November and gosh it clicked they're like firing instantly it was like they all knew each other someone new comes in and it's like oh I'm like oh do you guys know each other no no we've just met and there's just this life in it but the um the group before had to die and it had to have that awkward stage of where I was trying to find the life and it wasn't there but in God's perfect timing it clicked and it worked and there's a life and people are happy to join that group uh, and people are happy to be a part of that group and want to be a part of that group because um, God's life is there. So um, that's my example. Fabulous. 
Thanks, Rachel. So, so important. We have life. You know that actually our groups are filled with life and our leaders are filled with life because people want to see the life of Christ. And uh, you don't want to just come and be doing something that feels like you could be doing anywhere else in the world. We're in Christ's church and we want the life of Christ to be evident. And you can feel that in your teams because, you know, where there's life, things are growing and flourishing and thriving. So I encourage you to make sure there's life in your team. Now, the other thing I want to say to you is to make sure there's love in your teams, you know. Um, Really, really important. If you want to retain team members, important to know that they are valued. But I want to take that even further. I think Jesus' disciples knew that he loved them, yeah? And I think it's really important that our teams know that they're loved, that they're not just a bum on a seat, they're not just a person fulfilling a task, that actually we like them, and actually we go that bit further, we love them. And so there's no better person actually to talk about how he loves his team than Pastor MC. He's one of our associates at Nantwich, and he's also a... um, a chaplain at one of our FE colleges. But MC and his wife, Kyung Sil, they are amazing when it comes to loving their team. So I'm going to let MC tell you a little bit about how he does that. I'm not amazing, but I'm amazing because of my wife and because of my pastor. <laughs> Women power around me. <laughs> because of that, I'm amazing. Yes, you know, love is very difficult to show. If I say, I love you, why? You know, with the team, we try to, to show our love. So, for example, during lockdown time, I still need to encourage people to, to we love you. So we turn on, we ask them to turn on the Zoom and Zoom meeting, say hello, and I really nudge them like every two weeks. Then still, you know, virtual is not real. So how, how can I do? So, uh, you know, every week uh, I decided to. This is like lunch box. So I put, I bought like a. Capri Suns, yeah, two Capri Suns, and some like love shape biscuit. I think it's something everybody know about home and bargain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can buy it. You, when you go home and bargain, they're love shape. So Capri Sun is very cheaper, cheaper than uh, any other shop. Don't go to Sainsbury's or any place. Like, home and bargain. So I put a couple of Capri Suns and love biscuit and uh, with the mask. mask. And during lockdown time, knocked the door, and they also came out. Knock the door, uh, come out. Yes, it's MC. Oh, thank you, thank you. So, all my team appreciate about uh, how much we love, how much we love. So, it's, but like as Pastor Michelle said, we've lost a couple of mem- like uh, resource, like uh, because some people not able to come anymore. Then, what can we do? What can we do? So, we put lots of effort. I even some people they were not part of our team. And yes, not deliberately, by, but by Holy Spirit, I just knocked their door and just build up. I didn't ask them to join our team. But so after lockdown uh, eased, then we just have all our meetings face-to-face called, I'm in charge of preschool-aged children. So my aim is preschool-aged children, so toddler and creche. Then I asked them, so would you like, and you know, I think uh, they are that of uh, this love. <laughs> so, 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 they, so some of them now join. So now we have uh, uh, three teams. Every uh, Friday, we have like moms and toddlers group 
but children, moms and toddlers are about uh, 60, 70. So we need at least three to four. Me and my wife can't cover it. So we need more team. And Christian as well, every Sunday now, we don't know how, where those children come from, but 12 children every Sunday. And we call the toddler church, 12 babies, yeah, 12 babies. And so, and another thing, another thing, during lockdown time, and even after easy lockdown time, when we heard about somebody who got COVID, my wife, she's a very good cook according to my opinion or everybody. <laughs> so, so like, yeah, so uh, she just felt, yeah, I need to make a meal and you need to drop two to people. I think that one, authentic love is not only saying I love you, but actual things touched. So we kept our team and we, our, actually our team is even bigger than before. So praise the Lord. Thank you. Thanks, Pastor MC. You know, um, loving one another is the way we witness to Christ, isn't it? So, you know, when I think about our to toddler um, chatterbox on a, on a Friday or toddler church on a Sunday um, or the other children's ministry, so important as the families come in that they see a team that loves one another. It just speaks volumes. And, you know, you think about it, what are you drawn to? You know, you're drawn where there's life, you're drawn where there's love, and you're also drawn where there's light. And, you know, in our teams, you know, it's like, I don't want to go through the motions, I'll be honest with you, of just doing stuff and just doing a head count saying, oh, isn't it good we had so many in this week? I want something to change in the people's lives of those we're ministering to. I want the light of Christ to touch their darkness and transform it don't you you know so so the third little word I have for you is exactly that light you know we need life we need love and we need light and you know if you're a team member and you can go home and know that the light of Christ has touched somebody in some way someone who came in lonely and feeling um, low actually left feeling enlivened in their hearts, you know, and actually looking forward to the week ahead. We've had that in our bereavement group, you know, people coming in very, very desperately sad because of the grief they're feeling, but actually um, being touched when they're in the group, not by anything, you know, oh gosh, no, you know, we've not laid hands on them and they've fallen on the floor, but they've sat next to people who have life, they've sat next to people who love, and they felt the light of Christ, and that transformed people's experience so I'm going to invite Pastor Rachel she's an MIT on our team and um, she's going to just share a little bit about light hi so yeah I am an MIT and the children's and youth pastor so that's kind of my focus um, and as Michelle has already said this gives people uh, COVID's given people a real opportunity to step away from team and we did experience that in their ministries <laughs> boy did we but the great thing is and praise God is actually the number of young people that we've seen come along has grown it's doubled and um, it's expanded in diversity and because of that actually we've had to bring the groups back in real life but in a different way and that really needed team and luckily We've got them back. <laughs> We've got a new team going. 
And I believe that, um, that that's because we've seen a real eagerness in our young people to come back to our groups. And why is that? Well, actually, because throughout the pandemic, that was a real dark time in the lives of our young people, in, in a lot of us. But it was our responsibility as their leaders to be the light of the world to them, to go and be that city on a hill, to bring light, to bring Christ's light to them. Because what was going on? <laughs> Whether that be we adapted um, according to rules and, and to what we were able to do. And it was doorstep visits, um, just walks or Zoom and different things like that. But because we adapted, we have seen our young people come back and double in number. And it's our heart as a, as, as a youth ministry. I say this to people that have come on the team and we do the whole volunteer process and we recruit people and do all the formalities. But as the ministry leader, I always say to them, it's, it's my heart and it's our heart as a ministry to build up young people who will achieve more for the gospel than what we can ever plan for our lives in our, in our lifetime. And actually, that brings light. That helps us to um, to develop disciples, to bring to bring a fire to those young people who can go out there and be disciples and to show Christ's light to those that we can't reach. We can't always get to those school kids. We can't get in there all the time. But our young people are meeting so many others, and that we can and we can build them up to be that to their friends, and that attracts team. That's why our team has grown. That attacks uh, attracts team, because actually, um, where else? Where else better to be? Because that light, if you're bringing Christ's light into your ministry, that light cannot be dimmed. That light is contagious, and they see that not only are they sowing into the lives of our young people that we minister to firsthand but it can go beyond the walls of our church and to those that they meet as well and empower them to take Christ's light to those that they meet too. Thanks, Pastor Rachel. So I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you. They're not hard words, are they, to remember life, love, light. You know, maybe make a note on your phone or on a bit of paper and just go back and um, survey what's going on in your teams and ask yourself, is, is this team full of life? Is there life in this ministry? You know, my, my um, suggestion to you, if there is no life, then maybe just press pause and see how much people miss it. See if it's needed. See if it needs to, to actually stop for a while and be reborn. You know, but actually go back and look. Take a look. Is there, is there life in those teams? Is there life in those ministries? You know, is there love going on? You know, I know as a pastor, you know, the, the COVID's made me a bit weary at times. And I've had to take myself away and refresh um, and, and re be re-energized myself. You know, that constant change that we went through in the pandemic has, has worn us down a bit, and that's okay. So sometimes pressing pause is a good idea to give people a little bit of, of time. But um, also refreshing things, but also just choosing to love. You know, sometimes we just have to choose to love, to put our energy um, into pe other people's lives and into the team members who serve our churches so ably, into their lives as well. Let people know that they're loved. And we definitely need the light, don't we? We need that transforming grace. You know, um, I love Psalm 107. It's a life psalm for me. Um, 
Verse 33 reads, God turns rivers into desert, watery springs into thirsty ground, fruitful land into unproductive dirt, when its inhabitants are wicked. But God can also turn the desert into watery pools, thirsty ground into watery springs, where he settles the hungry. They even build a city and live there. They plant fields and vineyards and obtain a fruitful harvest. Whoever is wise will pay attention to these things, carefully considering the Lord's faithful love. You know, I want to encourage you to be those who are wise. Pay attention to what's going on in your teams. Is there, is there love? Is there light? You know, is there life? You know, pay attention to these things and consider the Lord's faithful love because he has the power to transform this situation. He has the power to bring workers for the harvest. He does. You know, so actually we just need to have faith. We need to um, apply apply the things that God has taught us in our own lives and uh, share God's life and love and light and we'll see our teams transformed and I just perceive that he is doing a new thing you know and so actually it's good sometimes that things slow down or die and we get to renew what we do in service to our communities and in the service of Jesus Christ I'm going to pray but then we'll take a couple of questions yeah Father God I thank you for everyone here I thank you Lord God that they've come because they're interested in teams. They're interested in people, your people, Lord God. And um, Father, as we reimagine team, Father, we want to imagine healthy teams thriving and flourishing and ministering in the power of your gospel. So Father, we do ask that you would fill us with the life of Christ, that you would um, Lord God, fill us with your, your holy love and Lord, fill us with the light that transforms the darkness, casts it out and dispels it and allows new things to grow. So, Father, we thank you and I pray for everybody here that as they go from here, Lord God, they'll be encouraged and built up and strengthened in building their teams. And, Father, that in the six months ahead, the year ahead and beyond, they'll see incredible things happen as you draw people through your life your love, and your light. In Jesus' name we trust. Amen. Amen. So you said about um, people on teams not coming to the service and you expect them to. So we've got people at our church that are saying they're watching it online and volunteering the other weeks and coming to church when they're volunteering. I mean, what, what do you say with people like that at your church? It's a hard one, isn't it? We, like everyone else, we are trying to work that out. Um, it's an interesting moment because before pandemic, if people are watching online, we would normally say to them, if you watch a cooking program, it doesn't feed you. And then all of a sudden we went online and we were like, this is just as much church as everything else. Um, I think the truth is when we begin to look at scripture, it talks about us, don't uh, forsake the gathering. Um, and there is a moment where we go, actually, we need to be around. I think... The importance of being in the room together, um, outside of just serving, is, I think it's a bit of accountability, but also just that there is something about being gathered together around people that y you build relationship beyond just where you are. It's easy if you are turning up once a month. Um, I, don't, I don't know about the certain teams, but I know some of our teams, that, so our kids workers, they don't come into our service. 
So they go straight out to the kids' work. Um, it's something we set up during pandemic because we were doing seats and we realized that if we were putting kids in, we were losing seats. So we kind of, it was easier for us just to put kids out straight away. Um, but those teachers, if they're not in, they're, they're missing out. Um, for me personally, the people that we, or the people I do personally with is my staff team. Um, so my kids worker, my youth worker, um, sorry, that's my son. Um, my um, office manager who are around, I'll sometimes sit around and be like, when was the last time you were in service? Uh, our kids worker said to us a couple of weeks ago, she was in service for worship, and she goes, oh, I, I didn't realize how much I missed worship. And I went, what do you mean you've missed worship? And I goes, this is your fault, I've told you. And I think sometimes people think we're too important. If, if I'm not here, then it will all fall apart. Um, I think for us, we are, like you, we're asking the question. Um, I think if I was to, if I were you, I would say if you're on once a month, I would ask him, why don't you turn up once a week, once a month in service as well? Um, and, the, and just ask questions around why, why are they not there? Um, is it because of the people? Is it because there's too many people? Or um, there's all those things. I had one lady in our kids' ministry who told us they wear a mask Monday to Saturday because they go shopping on Saturday and they don't want to wear a mask on Sunday. So they weren't coming to church until masks were gone. Masks disappeared. I still haven't seen them. They're still watching online, so there is those. But yeah, I think that would be what I would kind of suggest. Whether it works or not, I don't know, but there is something about just making sure that people's spirituality is there as well. And it's the message. It depends on what team they're in, but it's the message they're sending to the other people on the team. So just on policy, I think you were talking about about saying a policy. Um, I think when it comes to children and youth, that's kind of given because there's a lot of safe recruitment and safeguarding. But um, when it comes to a, a different teams, uh, do you let um, the team leaders to generate those policies, and or would that be something that comes from the from the pastor? We have a mixture in our team, um, so. Some of them, our leadership team, make a policy. Uh, when I first arrived at our church, uh, the rule was that every volunteer had to go through our leadership team. It was the silliest rule that I have ever seen because the problem was a name would come and the team would look and go, I don't know who that is. And you're like, why, have we, why are we making this bottleneck? The reason is for most policies, if it's there, it's because someone's done something wrong. And if the team leader, and for that policy, it was because the team leaders, for some of our ministries, could be trusted to follow through. Uh, but most of them, we, we leave it to team leaders. So like I said, our, our main policy that we have centrally is a six-month one. Um, and then with kids, they're kind of, they're based on certain stuff. Um, but then there's other things that we kind of, we pick people up from. So our discipleship group leaders, um, normally you've been part of a group and for them to come become a leader, normally their group leader will suggest them. So we do a mixture of both. Of Some are from the leadership team, some we allow. Um, so our stewarding team, uh, the guy who runs our stewarding team, he decides the policy there. He decides what they wear, he decides what they don't wear, all of that stuff. I guess... Um we would work in hours of, of the teams actually writing the policy, then 
coming up for review, you know, and so actually then going to our church session, um, who would read through and bring comments and, and suggest things. So wherever we can, we're trying to do it that way, rather than, than top down, so to speak, you know, because actually most of the time, you know, the people who are at the coalface in the teams doing the ministries have really good ideas and actually good life experience that they can draw on. So perhaps a social worker in some of the kids' work, um, different experiences that they can pull in. So if that doesn't happen, then sometimes we would do it the other way. But actually, it's good sometimes to draw um, the information up. And it depends on your size of church. So Alex is leading a big church in the middle of the city, aren't you? I'm leading a community church in a market town. Um, so different different um, approaches work in, in both, I think. And so I think you have to look at your context and see what's going to work for you. The important thing is, though, that our sessions, our leadership teams understand that we're accountable for what goes on in church. So you've got to be cited. You have got to understand what's in your policy. You've got to understand that people are following um, the safer recruitment, for example, or other stuff. You know, it might be your fire eggs or whatever it is. You know, we have um, four acres. You know, we're in the site of the old Bible college. So, you know, we have over two acres of building, four acres of land. You know, our fire eggs, they're, you know, the report is like 40, 50 pages long, you know. But actually, our session have to be um, familiar with this stuff because we're accountable for it. Can I suggest one last thing when you're recruiting team? Why don't you say, come and join us for six months? So then at six months, if they want to leave, they can. So it gives them that kind of out or join us for a year.